This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hey, it's Doug here. I just wanted to pop in before I send it to the episode to let you know this is a rebroadcast. This is an interview slash kind of a coaching discussion that we had with Lewis and Clark, which are fake names, but uh, these guys wanted to be anonymous, which is totally cool with us. If you're uh, only listening to the audio version, over on the YouTube side, we actually like pixelated their faces so they cannot be recognized. But the reason why we're rebroadcasting is number one, it was a fantastic episode, one of our most popular, and it's kind of about what to expect when you're about to retire. So at the time that we chatted with Lewis and Clark, they were about five months out from retiring. And I haven't caught up with them. I need to email them and see what's going on. But I think around this time, in October of 2022, they will be uh, not working anymore. So we will get an update sometime in the future. And the second reason that we're publishing, republishing this episode with Lewis and Clark is because Carl has been insanely busy. We actually recorded several episodes at FinCon, which was the first part of September. And then I've only seen Carl like one or two times since then. And I had our friend Jake Simon help us out to record a few episodes, which I hope that you heard. And Carl's still out. So he he did tell me the other day, hey, we're, we're actually doing even more work on the house. And he, he's very busy working on the new house that they got. And I hear everything's going great. I'm pretty sure you could follow along with some of the progress over on Carl's Instagram, which I think is 1500 days. So you could search for that if you don't already follow him. I'll put a link in the description so that you can go and find it. And I, I won't mention it. I won't mention who yet, but uh, very soon, uh, Carl actually hooked me up with one of our uh, mutual friends. Uh, Carl has known him a little bit longer. And basically, I'm going to have a very awesome, very um, thoughtful co-host to sit in with me sometime. So I'm going to be chatting with him next week. I'm going to leave you with a big cliffhanger here. Um, I just want to make sure everything will work out scheduling wise, but um, at least uh, probably a couple, a few episodes or so, we'll have a guest host. And I hope Carl will join me back soon. Uh, Leave a comment, uh, send us an email, carl at milehighfi.com. If you miss Carl and you want him to come back soon, And you could leave comments on YouTube, of course. And a final little thing before I send it to the episode. If you're not subscribed, uh, wherever you're listening or consuming this, uh, go ahead and subscribe. It helps us out. You know, it it sends uh, good good vibes through whatever system that you're listening or watching this on. So without further ado, let's hear uh, this interview slash coaching with Lewis and Clark. And I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the Mile High Five Podcast. Hello, world. I am Carl, here with my co-host. I'm Doug Huntington. And we're doing something a little bit different today. For the first time ever, we have, a, what would this be called, a reader case study listener. This is not, no one reads this podcast. If you do that, you're doing something wrong in life. Um, 
So I'm just going to read the introduction that our guests uh, wrote for us, and then I'll let them introduce themselves. So preparing for early retirement. And they say, we are now approximately five months from leaving our employers. The heavy work of our financial planning is largely behind us after so many years of intentional decisions and saving. We are in a strange form of autopilot. Thanks, Downshift Financial. Our focus now is on being mentally prepared for such a big shift. So that's what we're going to talk about today, preparations for early retirement. So why don't you all introduce yourselves and we'll get into the questions. Great. And thank you for having us on the podcast. Uh, For the purpose of this discussion, I'm going to go by the name Clark. uh, And this is my husband. I'm going by Lewis. Uh, And thank you for having us on the podcast. We live in the Washington, D.C., area. Uh, I work in the international development field, uh, and my husband, Lewis works with the federal government. Um, and we've been intentionally getting ourselves on the plan for being financially independent from needing to work uh, formally since about 2017. Um, and after some big changes and very intentional planning, uh, we find ourselves ready to actually do this in probably September. Uh, So we really appreciate talking with you today with questions we have on how to get in the right mental uh, framework. Uh, Like the introduction said, we feel like our finances are in place. Uh, We understand the math of this, but we're trying to make sure that we go into this with a healthy mindset. Yeah, this is going to be a real fun one. And I, I appreciate you submitted such thoughtful questions, but I have to tell you, they gave me some anxiety because I read them. And the, the last thing I want to do is give you stupid things that everyone says, like be flexible or all, all that type of shit, because everyone says that. So I, I wanted to get some good answers. And what I came to eventually is after I'd come up from my own, I'm like, why is it just about me? I, I thought of everyone I knew who was a local who was retired early and paying them for their answers. So I learned a lot from just doing this, and I hope you both do too. So yeah, hopefully this is as good as I think it will be. If it's bad, it's Doug's fault. Yeah, I was going to say, Carl, you did a really good job like gathering information. But as I hear you say it, it sounds like you were lazy. You're like, uh, I'm going to outsource <laughs> it to my friends here, which is, I mean, that's really smart. <laughs> That's good. God, I, I didn't even think of that. I was looking for alternate viewpoints, Doug. I wasn't trying to outsource it. That's a great way to frame it. It sounds like a <laughs> wonderful idea. Yeah. Thanks for throwing me under the bus. Yeah. Well, before we get started, I'm curious like how this episode happened exactly. So it sounds like you guys are in the senioritis kind of situation a little bit, and you're like, oh, I'm a little nervous. What's going to happen on the other side? So how did you reach out to us? Um because I, I was outside of it. So I'm just curious how, why we're all sitting here talking. I think it was, um, so in the, in the earlier part of the intro, we gave a shout out to Downshift Financial. You, you'd uh, had them on the podcast a couple months ago, uh, several months ago. And we uh, were really intrigued by that interview. And we've tried working with some financial advisors before that never quite understood the financial independence movement. Um, and didn't quite work the work with us the way that we would have been helpful. And so we reached out to them and had a great discussion. And they reaffirmed a lot of our math. And they said, you know, you guys could do this like right now. Uh, and that really took us by 
uh, surprise and kind of a, a bit of a jarring thing to hear someone say, you could, could just walk away from your jobs right now. Um, so with that, we started really thinking, all right, we're, this is actually going to happen. It's not just in podcast world anymore. This is going to happen. And we need to get ourselves in a mental framework. And uh, so on a whim, uh, I took advantage of your your uh, podcast emails that you send out and they say, you know, respond. And so I did. <laughs> and, and I reached out uh, and uh, to Carl with, with questions, asking for advice on what uh, what he would recommend we do during this time frame. And Carl wrote back. And here we are. Perfect. And we have a bunch of questions. We're going to go over those. But now I just want to ask you guys a couple more things. So you found out after you talked to Downshift that you can get right into it. What information did they tell you that you missed before? It sounds like you, you were surprised by it. So what did they tell you and how, how did you miss it? Um, I'm not sure that we missed it. I think it's a combination of two things. When we were planning this out earlier in the process, we probably put in relatively conservative estimates of what our investments would have done over the last few years. Um, And, you know, the stock market has done rather well despite the pandemic and everything else. So I think that exceeded our expectations of when we would reach um, the value, you know, the, the net worth at which we would feel comfortable doing this. We also um, took some steps as, uh, as Clark here was uh, saying to, uh, to prepare and, and get ourselves in a financial position, including selling uh, a house we owned and moving into a condo that's significantly uh, decreased our expenses. And so I don't think that we had really done a full sort of scrub of those two factors and how they had affect our finances by the time we started working with Downshift. And so like we generally understood we were in a good place, but it was really helpful to have professionals confirm that and, you know, it's not just the spreadsheet that I downloaded from, you know, the mad scientist or something. It was, you know, people who do this all the time um, confirming uh, that our estimates were accurate. Uh, but we're, we had been planning towards about five months from now uh, to walk away. And part of that is, um, as we said, we I work for the federal government and I'll have some additional benefits if I reach um, that step. I'll have a... Uh, so, that may be worthwhile. And, and a couple of years ago, when we made these estimates, that's when we thought our investments would reach the point, uh, which we have, a, we have reached a little early um, now. Got it. Got it. Well, congratulations. It's pretty cool. Yeah. One thing before we get into the first question, I, I, I heard a noise and Lewis, that was either your dog growling or dog farting. Who wants to own up to that <laughs> noise? That. That was our, our wonderful dog, Ellie Rose, is here with us today, uh, and she's excited to be a part of this podcast interview. <laughs> Fantastic. That was the that's answer I was looking for. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm glad she's here. Okay. Ready to get into it? I am. Okay. And I think uh, probably the best format, you guys want to ask us uh, the questions, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Sounds good. Uh, so I can kick off the first question. So as we're preparing for this mental shift, what has been the most surprising to you in how you set your priorities, particularly about what you want to accomplish each day now that you don't need to be making money along with it? Yeah. One thing I want to say before we answer is I think 
Doug did the whole retirement thing a lot healthier. And that's because I don't know if Doug would call himself retired. Doug still works. He doesn't really need to, but he works part-time where I did the exact opposite. I went from working full-time to absolutely nothing. I did go part-time for a very small amount of time, but I'll try to point out the mistakes I made. But overall, I think Doug might have the healthier perspective on this. But the thing that came to me with the question, with this question is when I had a job, you're sitting there working for eight or 10 hours a day. And those hours aren't owned by me. They're owned by my employer. And I, I was a good worker. I was always on time and did my work and all that, but I didn't value it as much. And when I stopped working, I'm like, oh my God, all this time belongs to me now. The next eight hours, I've got kids. So between the time I drop them off and pick them up from school, I own that time and it belongs to me. So I started using my time much more, I don't know what the word is. Uh, it gave me a little bit of anxiety because I'm like, I have to use this time effectively because I earned this and uh, no one owns me now. If I screwed up, it's on me. So yeah, and that led to other things. I decided I needed a routine. I needed to put some structure around it. And the last thing was planning your day. If you've got seven hours in the middle of the day, one thing I discovered is my energy levels are higher in the morning. So if I need to do an intense workout or some heavy thoughtful activity, I structure my day. So I do that first thing in the morning when I have willpower, when my energy levels are high. So, yeah, I think that's it. How about you, Doug? Well, I have a follow-up. So, how did it manifest itself when you were like, oh, I now own my time? Did you just do a bunch of shit and take on too many projects? Or, like, what actually happened? If you could walk us through maybe, like, an average day when you're looking back and you're like, ah, that was that was a bad idea. Yeah, I did the wrong thing for, like, the first five years. It's only very recently that I've become better adjusted. So, yeah, it... Some of it is because we were in the middle of a home remodel when I stopped working, so I, I had that to finish. And then we bought another home that needed work, so I have a hard time balancing my time. So at first, I would just throw myself into the house for the first four or five years and do nothing but that, hence the current state of my health, which isn't as good as it could be. Uh, I think that's where a routine helps out, too. You, even if you have that other thing, even if you're going part-time, set a routine, say, I'm going to do this between eight and 10, and I'm not allowed to work on the house or whatever that other thing is. And between 10 and 12, I'm going to give my time to go for a walk or exercise or whatever and stick to that and make yourself conform to it. Okay. And then how long have you been retired? April, 2017. Jeez, five years. Five years. And you did say it's you made the mistake for about five years. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like four four years and 10 months, it's only... Okay. Fairly recent until I've gotten it right. And I hope you learn from this. It doesn't sound like from your questions that we'll get to, it doesn't sound like you're going to fall into my trap. And it seems like you're going to do the opposite, which is great. Yeah. And you're, you're thinking about it ahead of time. So yeah, like, like Carl said, I sort of eased into the re retirement, which I don't describe myself as retired with the internet retirement police and everything, but I work maybe 15 to 20 hours a week, depending on the week and try to take big chunks of time off. And it's because I was working full time with some side hustles, got laid off and then started working on the side hustles full time. So it was really easy for me to sort of shape my day into what I wanted it to be. However, even after reaching FI, I still was chasing money because that's what I was used to 
doing, which I mean, I think we're, we can all relate to that. And it felt kind of good to be productive and then you're validated by earning more money. And it took me a little bit to figure out that I should probably reshape things and I didn't have to do things for money, exactly the root of this question. So I deliberately tried to be lazier and tried to be less productive, which is counter to what we usually try to do. Where we're like, I want to be more productive. And I've I've spent a lot of hours trying to figure out how to be more productive. So to turn your back on that and then figure out how to do the opposite and maybe have a little slack in the schedule was a little bit tough. One other piece was just looking to do things that were fun or that would make me happy. So when I looked at the activities in the business and the the job of side hustles, I would start killing these pieces of the business that weren't fun or were annoying so that I was only left with the with the good stuff. So very selfish when it comes down to it. But I mean, who else am I like trying to make happy? A bunch of other people that might judge me for being lazy. That doesn't seem like a good use of my effort or what I think about. So for me to just aim for the stuff that makes me happy, that's fun, like it's perfect. So that's kind of that's kind of where I arrived at. I have one follow up question. Do you still you still earn money? Do you still enjoy earning money? Or? Yeah, it, it is fun. I mean, because you're testing ideas and it's an, it's a, you can't fake it, right? There, it's, val- it's a validated idea. It's validated that it's successful because you're like, you earned money from it. Of course, you can have some mixed up goals in there and some ulterior, ulterior, what word am I trying to say, guys? I think like ulterior. Yeah, ulterior yeah. Ulterior motives. Yeah, I got lost after that second syllable. Wow. <laughs> I'm a pro podcaster. What's going on? So you can get, you can get a little mixed up there, but generally it works out. Okay. Yeah. I, I had this weird thought when I first stopped working and my thought was I can't earn money cause then I'm not retired. And then after a year of that, I'm like, well, why not? That's pretty stupid. Who cares what the internet retirement police think? It's okay. As long as you're not compromising yourself. And the funny thing about that is a lot of times you start doing things you really enjoy doing and people want to pay you for that. Yeah. Hopefully someone wants to pay us for this podcast at some point, but someday to dare to dream. (laughs) Well, I think our next question is, is sort of related to it. We're expecting that the first few months will sort of take a lot of time to have fun and have, uh, you know, it'll feel like a vacation um, and do a lot of kayaking and camping and traveling and things like that before we set into a new normal. But we're trying to figure out after that, as we set into our new normal, you know, how that will feel and what the best way of, of doing that is. Yeah. I talked to my friend, Eric, about this very thing. And his recommendation was to do the exact thing that you just said, Lewis, to take time off and not work, like purposely, purposefully be lazy. God, we're having a hard time with words today. What's wrong with us? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't even been drinking or anything like that. Uh, so, so I think you're doing the right thing there. But I also want to read off a couple things that friends said. Uh, the first one is from Todd. He said, if you are ambitious enough for early retirement, you are still going to need to do something that gives you purpose. Don't be afraid to experiment and figure out what that new purpose is. Uh, the second one is from Eric, who I just mentioned. He said, make sure you have many interests, projects, etc. 
It can require focus to ensure you have good stuff going on every single day. Sometimes I end up with a big project and I only have little tasks to work on. Uh, sometimes I end up without a big project and I only have little tasks to work on. That could feel like list checking. Having a big project that you can work on every day provides many opportunities. And I started thinking about what all these people do, what all these early retirement people I know, how they spend their time now. Uh, Doug and I have a friend named Steve who was a pretty big attorney. He, I went hiking with him on Thursday and he was telling me how he would argue cases in like appellate courts. And I'm not even sure what that is. I should have paid more attention in school, but it sounded pretty fancy. And I know it, I think it took him seven years to unwind his legal career. And now he makes these crazy like uh, Christmas wreaths and trees with LED lighting. And they're super cool. I'll, he just got a patent for it. He might be on Shark Tank and all this crazy stuff. Pete, Mr. Money Mustache, he was a tech guy. He worked for, I think he did router software or firmware. And now he's a carpenter and, and builds stuff. Uh, Eric, the guy who I just mentioned, he does all kinds of different stuff. He does coding part-time. We can talk about that a little bit more. And he makes furniture. Um, Todd, the person who I mentioned, is a woodworker. He teaches classes. So I think the core thing from all these people, everyone I know who's happy with their fire life is they all work. There's that bad four-letter word, but they all do it on their own terms, and they sure as hell don't do it for 40 hours a week. They do it for 10 or 20 hours a week. And what that work looks like to you could be different. Maybe you want to go back and do part-time consulting with what you did before, or maybe you want to do it for three months of the year on a project basis. But it seems like that's a core to a happy, happy life, and it certainly is to mine. And I think that's why your situation has worked out so well, Doug. Yeah. And I was going to say a um, couple, couple other layers. I like the crowdsourcing, by the way. These are all, those were good an answers there. So I won't repeat anything, but I tried, I think it's good to have some slack and it's okay to be bored and a little bit uncomfortable. So I know, like I said, I, I ended up doing too much for a little while and like my, my calendar would be pretty full and that kind of stresses me out just inherently. So as I've figured things out that I want to have less things to do and be a little lazier, having like the open calendar and leaving that slack is good. And then you also have the opportunity of someone, you know, if Carl texts me and is like, Hey, do you want to grab a beer? I may have just an open few hours. I'm like, sure. Yeah. I'll go ride the bike up and yeah, we'll have a beer and just hang out for a little while. So, and I think as you're, as you're creating more slack in your schedule, Carl, like you'll have more of those opportunities as well. Cause like a lot of times you're busy, you're like, oh, I got to run, go do this other thing. Or, uh, I remember earlier this year, you were going to different hardware stores all over the region because they were out of uh, two by fours or something, right? That is right. I was putting solar panels on. I actually woke up at five in the morning to catch Home Depot when it opened. Yeah, and going a little a little deeper, um, Lewis and Clark, uh, do you like to have a lot of structure in your days or? have a little bit more of a free form or a little bit of a balance. I'm just curious, like what you think right now, uh, each of you, hopefully it kind of lines up. <laughs> yeah. I, I think at least for me, this is Clark. Um, I think that I do better with structure and I also do better with a sense of routine. Um, like right now we have a, a morning routine where when we get up in the morning, uh, we have coffee, we do yoga, 
one of us will work out. The other one of us will walk our dog and we take turns with that and then actually get ready for the day and, and start work. And, and we've been talking about how even in September and onwards, when, you know, we can push it back and not do that at six in the morning, we can do that at eight in the morning, but there's still a really nice importance of that, uh, routine and structure to, at least for me. Yeah. I think that structure is my, uh, is where I'm comfortable, but it's also been, you know, I've been working for so long. It's hard to imagine like much time beyond that, uh, without, without structure, like you can have a vacation or you can have a weekend that doesn't have structure, but what does that feel like having, uh, not having that structure, you know, two weeks in, uh, I don't know. Uh, so probably uh, structure would be safer and then we'll see what it happens without structure. Cool. Yeah. And I think a lot of us do enjoy the routine and your morning routine is like pretty similar to mine, except I always walk the dog and then my wife walks Georgie uh, for later walks during the day. But yeah, like those anchor points, like even on vacation, like I try to do the same thing thing kind of in the morning but I'm, I'm curious if you it could be interesting to experiment and maybe by default you'll have to where you're like okay we're gonna maybe keep the morning routine that's a great way to start the day but then after that like no structure see if it totally freaks you out or if you're like oh you know what i want to have one anchor point at like two in the afternoon where you take a nap that's a good thing to do throw in some naps by the way pro tip and just a couple anchor points and then everything else is kind of open and you can see like, all right, I like that a couple days a week or I want that every day or I don't like that. And I want to have more pieces, but I would, I would say like, go, go to each extreme and then kind of find your way in the middle. Um, Hmm. I don't know. Any any thoughts on that? I mean, that's how I like to do things like go one extreme to the other. So you get the full contrast. So Carl, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm curious. I think anchor points are really good because there's probably some psychological term for it, but I think it's good to have a little bit of tension in your life. And if you know, every day at noon, Lewis and Clark are going to meet to go for a walk. It creates maybe a little bit of urgency and not like anxiety would be too far, but it creates a little bit of tension in your life and maybe gets your ass in gear to do stuff. And uh, I don't know if that makes me happy. I couldn't, I would go nuts if my life was completely unstructured. Yeah. Yeah. Then how, how about you guys? Any thoughts? Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that that's where it will be nice in the first couple months where it really is more of this vacation mindset and we can spend however much time we want hiking or kayaking or, or just laying on the couch, not doing anything um, and our dog is grumbling there in the background, letting <laughs> us know that September can't come here soon enough. And, um, but yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting too. And, and as well with the changing seasons, um, it, you know, the, the longer we're in that time of year now where the days finally start to feel longer. And so you just feel like you have that much more time to, to enjoy and that much more time to fill uh, versus the, the dark of winter where you feel like you get a whole four hours. And that's one of the things I'm excited about is being able to enjoy that much more time outside in January when the, when it's actually still light out. And and so I could see where it's almost like a seasonal shifts of what the anchor points look like and what time of day the anchor points are. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, side note, your dog is going to be happier than it's ever been its whole <laughs> life. Georgie's alone for like maybe 20 minutes a day. It's ridiculous. We're all very codependent, but we, we love it. Yeah, I have a couple more random thoughts. Uh, Clark, what you said about going out for a walk while it's still light out in the middle of winter, it's so wonderful and it's such a luxury. I remember when I worked, I had this big window with a mountain view in my office and I'd turn around and see the mountains. I'm like, oh, that looks so nice. And, <laughs> and even now sometimes I'm like, oh, look at that. Like it's fluffy, snowy. I'd love to be outside. Like what the hell am I doing? What the hell am I doing? Go get your ass outside, dummy. Like you can do whatever you want. Uh, it's the little things that are such underappreciated luxuries. But the other thing, going back to a more serious note, is, is there were two people I talked to who, when they retired, they didn't have anything to do. And both of them said it gave them great anxiety. And curious enough, both of them said it took them two years to really find their footing. Hmm. And the question I asked both is, was that a valuable experience, not having something to transition to? You didn't have anything to step off on. You had to find yourself. And they, they both said, yes, I think I'm in a better place because I really had to take this time for introspection and to figure myself out. So even though it was stressful and I had anxiety at the time, I'm in a better place and I, I have a more satisfying life as a result of it. So if I were to give you any advice based on that, don't put too much pressure on yourself. And I think that's where I kind of got it wrong. I was so worried about that that I just threw myself into other projects. So mm -hmm. don't do as I did. <laughs> Any other follow-ups, Lewis and Clark? Yeah, I think um, sort of as you're as you were saying um, that these people were speaking of. I think I've come to peace that I I just need to jump off the cliff and and see what happens, and I will go through some period of anxiety of trying to understand you know who I am and what I do uh, when the structure that I'm used to is gone. And, you know, part of what we're talking here is about how to sort of like mitigate that and put some structure on it. But also, I think it's just a thing I have to go through or I'll or I'll end up uh, regretting that I didn't didn't do it uh, when I had uh, the opportunity. That's perfect, because I think it's it's all expectations. So if someone thinks they're going to be super happy right after they retire and then they're trying to figure out what the meaning of life is, that's pretty rough. But you know yeah. that it's going to be a little uncomfortable and you're like, I'm planning for it and probably have some, you know, coping mechanisms or strategies to maybe journaling or something like that. So you could like yeah. work with those thoughts or something. So yeah, cool. most great things in life come from discomfort. Nothing good happens if you're sitting around the couch eating Cheetos all day, although it's okay to do that for a, a small amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's next? All right. So our next question is, uh, looking back on your own experiences, if if you had this kind of concrete schedule where you knew that you were just a few months away from being able to walk away from your employment, what is one thing that you would have done differently? Uh, for me, I wish I would have asked to go part-time sooner. I did ask my employer of that and I expected them to say no, but then they're like, oh yeah, sure, you can do that. Uh, what that gave me going from five days a week down to three days a week was the confidence to know that I wouldn't be bored in a life of early, early retirement because 
I went from having two days off to four days off. And I'm like, man, this still is not enough. I, I need more of this. So after six months, I'm like, I'm done. So I wish I would have done that sooner. And this might be a crappy answer for you two because you're already at the end of your journey. But yeah, that's one thing I, I wish I would have done. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned before, my transition was so seamless, like looking back, it it was planned perfectly, but it, it wasn't, it just was an accidental transition that was nice. And for me, and again, like Carl said, you guys are kind of past the point and I wouldn't recommend that you like start up side hustles and like transition because you're, mm -hmm. you're not at the same spot that I was, but yeah, I, I wouldn't do, really do anything differently because it was so gradual that I shaped it exactly how I wanted it to be. Yeah, one thing I thought about with you two is from our previous conversa conversation, you both have pretty, uh, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for, is pretty uh, rigorous, important jobs. I'm, I'm not sure. I could easily see where your identity would be tied into your jobs. It's not like you're working at the Taco Bell drive through or something like that. So I don't know. How do you feel about that? Do you think you'll have a hard time? separating yourself from your job and that identity is that you sound like heavy hitters you both have worked pretty hard in your careers but uh, that's flattering thank you i don't think so i mean i think that i i have my job has been a lot of my identity for a long time but one of the reasons that we're leaving is because it's reached the point where i sort of worked that out of my system i think the job i do is is very important and it's very important to be done right um but i also know my colleagues will will carry on without me in the country will be will be safe. So I've yeah, I've worked that out of my system and I'm ready to to try something new and not have this work be as uh, to be this the center of my life as it used to be. I I think my response is a little different from that and and one of the differences too of how uh Lewis and I are approaching this is one of the primary things that I do with the company I work for is help bring in more clients and bring in more funding for the work that we do. And I think that the skill set that I have could be translated to also using the same skills, but helping with uh, like local nonprofits and much smaller charities and organizations that um, wouldn't necessarily be able to afford huge uh, daily rates of, of consultants. But if someone just knocks on the door and says, I'm really passionate about the work that you do and I'd love to help you out, you know, what could we do uh, together that would be helpful to you and where I don't have to care what the income side of that looks like. I think that's something from this that I'm um, looking forward to being able to do that I don't have the time or the bandwidth or the energy to, to do right now. But I think once we get to the other side of the, the vacation-y mindset of this and start to get a, an itch of what's next, I think that's something that has been coming to mind as uh, something that I'd, I'd like to explore. What's next? All right. Well, I was wondering... Uh, were there any financial or, or other things that you found uh, were easier when you had a you know, full-time job, a normal job? Um, for instance, on the, on the financial side, uh, we have been, uh, the downshift guys advised us to increase our access to credit in case you know, there's a stock market downturn early and when we're not working, so we can sort of ride that out. Um, 
And so that's certainly, I, I think, easier when we've got, you know, tax documents that show we still have income to get access to that credit. But I don't know if there are any things, uh, anything else, either financial or otherwise, that you're glad you did before you made the transition or wish you would have made done before you made the transition. The one thing is that it sounds like this is not an issue for you two since you said you transitioned from a house to a condo, but buying a mm-hmm. house is a major pain in the ass if you don't have W-2 income. Uh, you either have to pay cash, try to get a portfolio loan, or have two years of income from whatever your corporation is, and that's a pain in the ass too. So it's that super annoys me because banks don't give a shit what your net worth is. They give a shit about W-2 income. But I'm, I'm kind of curious, Lewis, you mentioned the access to credit. Uh, do you care to comment any more on that? I've, I've discovered margin lending in the past 12 months, which I think is pretty cool. And I I just wrote a post about this actually because I can borrow money like under 1.5%. So if we didn't have income and there was a downturn, I would, I would just hit that up instead of taking money after a 20% uh, hit to the markets. Uh, do you care to talk about what your credit line is or where you got that from? Before we, before you answer, can you define the um, margin line of credit for people? Yeah, sure. So you can only do this with a post-tax portfolio. And mine is with E-Trade. Uh, if anyone has heard about this, we'll put a link to the show notes. Uh, Mr. Money Mustache wrote a good article about it. He did his with Interactive Brokers. I originally had mine with that, and then I moved it to E-Trade because they gave me a better deal so you can negotiate it. But what they allow you to do is borrow money against your after-tax portfolio. So I think we've got about $2 million in ours, and it fluctuates because the amount of money fluctuates. But I can borrow about a million to do anything except to buy stocks with. Uh, So I put solar panels on my house, and I didn't want to pay for it with my own money because if I can borrow 1%, I'll let them pay for it at least temporarily and just take the interest hit on that. But yeah. We've done two things uh, already and we may do more. So one is just increase the um, credit limit on our credit cards. And, you know, we pay it off every month and we don't expect to change that. But if there were some, you know, we really like hit a, hit a hard place and had some really huge unexpected expenses and we didn't want to take money out of the stock market, that would be option. Uh, we've also just recently signed the paperwork to have a home equity line of credit, uh, but not, you know, it, it's just sitting there if we ever want to access it um, to to take that money out. And then the, uh, the downshift guys uh, recommended both of those. And they've also talked to us about, I, it may be some technically different than what you did uh, with a margin um, thing, but but essentially the same, having a standby line of credit uh, against our investments that we could access rather than liquidating the investments. So Doug, you talked about you had side hustles to make it easier to deal with. Yep. And again, I wouldn't recommend, you know, you guys in the position that you're in to try to start some side hustles or something, but that was just naturally what I was doing. So I would say for other people who were maybe a few more years out, like maybe pick a hobby or something you're interested in, figure out how to make a little side hustle, and then it can ease the transition. And then, you know, maybe when you do stop working full time, you're just doing like one or two days of work or something like that. And it could be something fun. Like um, I would probably enjoy pouring beer at one of the local breweries for like one day a week. You probably Mm -hmm. get to shift beer. You're around people that are drinking beer. It's a good time. So you can figure out, you know, what it might be for you. 
but something like that could be fine. It doesn't have to be like an entrepreneurship time thing type thing. It could be just doing a part-time a uh, few hours, help out a small business or something like that. Doug, would you give me, if you did do that, would you give me free beer when I came in or? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I think you should. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no downsides as I think about it more. I'm like, ah, yeah, I would, I could bike to it. Probably have a lot of friends hang out. I mean, they would want me to work there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lewis and Clark feel free to groan for what I'm about to say, but I wonder if anyone has ever done an asparagus beer. And if not, this might be Doug, Doug Homebrew. So this might be a niche. And I wonder if you could get the same side effect from the beer brew with asparagus. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And I think it'd be great for um, St. Patrick's Day, because it would have the green mm -hmm. color. So I have a, about a year to experiment and really hone in the recipe. I mean, there's there's a, there's a big demand for vegetable flavored beer. You know? <laughs> there is a brewery in Illinois that does mushroom beer, which sounds completely disgusting. Like a regular, like the psychedelic kind of mushroom. <laughs> I think it's I think it's regular. You're not going to. Okay. Portobello. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> does not sound good but okay so any anything else before you leave the full-time gig i i don't think so i thought about this a lot and there's really not much you can do before and after i mean i don't know if you if you were really really paranoid about leaving maybe you try to structure things so you've got a parachute or you can go back to your plan you can go back to your job i I always think sequence of return risk is a little bit overrated because uh, deviating a little bit from the question here, but the best time to go back to work is right after you left it, which is the definition of sequence of returns risk, a downturn shortly after you left your job. So yeah, I can't really think of anything else to add here. The house is a big one and that's severely annoying to me, but that won't be your situation. All right. I like this next one. Yeah. So our, our next question is, as you uh, approach this, what what recommendations do you have on how you explain this to your family, your friends, and your coworkers? I was such an idiot when I retired. I'm like, ah, people are going to ask me what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell them I'm retired. And they're going to be like, wow, how did you do that? And then I'll tell them and then, then they're going to be like, oh my God, that's so awesome. I'm going to do the same thing. And I, I don't think that's happened even once you tell people and then they kind of look at you strange. I had someone ask me if I had a terminal disease. I'm like, no, no, I don't have cancer. I just, uh, I wanted to do other shit with my life. Uh, I asked my friend Eric and he said, most people don't get it as you're going through it. It's a really big deal in your life and you'll want to talk about it. But for non-fire people, it can cause hurt feelings and jealousy Relationship, peace, and happiness are much more important than educating, he has educating in quotes, people on the 4% rule or whatever. And I think that's so true because unless unless you think you have an in and people ask you about it, most people just don't care. And even worse, they think you're some kind of like hippie or some shit. And yeah, it, it never, it always leads to an awkward situation. So I never tell people I'm retired now. I just... Yeah, I don't make up stuff, but I'm just like, yeah, I've got some stuff on the internet going on. And that usually confuses them too. Like, are you on OnlyFans? I'm like, no, <laughs> you're mixing me up with Doug. Yeah. So I didn't have to figure this out again. I just got laid off, but I, I think I would say it's a sabbatical and 
probably pretty soon my wife is going to stop working and I think she'll probably tell people it's a sabbatical or something like that. And if people are interested and you sense that they like want to know more, maybe they ask some relevant follow-up questions, then you can go a little deeper. But I think, yeah, if you if you tell people that you're retired, you'll end up in this situation Carl described. And also people will probably give you a bunch of unsolicited advice about how you're making a huge mistake and you probably don't know what you're talking about. And they just, like Eric said, they don't get it. So yeah, I would say just kind of keep it, you know, keep it under, under your vest there and you'll be better off. So what, what were you guys thinking? Like uh, you probably had an idea for what you were going to do. So what were you thinking or what are you thinking you're going to do? Uh, I was planning to just tell people that I'm transitioning into consulting um, and then just never really have to get into specifics on how often I'm actually consulting. Nice. Yeah. I think a lot of people, uh, family and friends don't really understand what you do. <laughs> and so then when you add consulting on top of it, that will just, you know, in the conversation right there. Um, and uh <laughs> So I think uh, same for me, I think people will be like, oh, you know, what are you going off to? And I think, you know, some of my coworkers, I, I think my my job is somewhat easier to uh, understand um, for a person who's not familiar with it. But uh, I, so I think I might get some follow-up questions. So I think I'll, you know, have to admit, like we've, you know, put ourselves in a financial position where we don't have to immediately go into something new. So, you know, I don't have a, next thing lined up and we'll, you know, I might do some consulting. I might sort of explore some other interests and, you know, sort of see what happens and what my next job will be. Cause I assume I will earn income sometime again. Um, even if I don't know what it is, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, to what you were saying, I'm concerned that the more I say, the more it sounds like I'm either bragging or proselytizing, or an idiot, because I don't know what I'm getting into. (laughs) (laughs) All of which I like to present myself as. I mean, that's (laughs) usually what I'm trying to do. It it always lands on one of those three, two. (laughs) Yeah, you've got it all covered right there. And the follow-up question is, what do you do all day? That's, yeah. Yeah. And I was just at a Camp Fi event recently, and a guy named Ian was talking about, you know, how they stopped working, he and his wife stopped working. And basically some of the family and friends would feel sorry for them and like, oh, they don't have a job. Uh, we better pick up their meal. So even though they're doing well, <laughs> like people, their friends are like, oh, we got to cover them. Like we, we got you this time. So keep us posted. That'll be interesting mm-hmm. if that happens <laughs> to you as well. Yeah, I don't know if that will be great or Awkward or both. You're like, "Ah, all right, I'll take it. (laughs) It's funny. Okay. Anything else on this one? No, I don't think so. Anything else from Lewis and Clark? I don't think so. Nope. Okay. So I think we're going to transition now. We were talking about the buildup to early retirement, and now we're going to talk about life once you're actually retired. So question number one. Yeah. Um, You had already asked us about our identity and how it's connected with work. Um, so we've been trying to think about how we'll mold a new identity after we leave our, our work. 
uh, and find a new purpose. Uh, so I was hoping you had some advice on that. Yeah, I would say the number one thing that has helped me is to find community. And I'm pretty fortunate that we're in Longmont. Uh, you described it as the Mecca of fire. And that's probably true because there are a lot of people in the same boat. I was just thinking this Thursday, we went for a big hike. And uh, we're always doing things like that when everyone else is at work. So it's pretty easy here. But I would say it's easier than ever everywhere. You can go on the Choose a Five forums or Facebook groups, and there's all kinds of resources now. I know Mr. Money Mustache has forums. I haven't been on, on them in a while. So I would find people. And to build on that, what you're really trying to do is reinvent yourself, I guess. And now that I'm talking about this, uh, one thing I did was pick up public speaking, and that's something I never, ever, ever thought I would ever do in my entire life. It just terrified me, and I think more so than most people. So I do that now, and, and people are offering to pay me for it, which is so very, very strange. And the other thing we, I do is own the co-working space. I co-own that. And th those are two things I never thought I would see myself doing in, in five years uh, post-retirement. So don't be afraid to burn whatever you're doing now down and restart. Uh, t do experiments. Figure out what makes you happy. If it doesn't work, if it's not great, bail on it. But yeah, it's, it's amazing everything that, I don't know about you, Doug, but anytime we go out with people, someone will have some idea like, oh, let's open up a bottle shop or let's do this and that. I'm like, okay, that's a great idea. That's not so much, but let's explore this one. So yeah, and I guess what this is all tied into is your ego and identity. Like, Don't be afraid to let go of the person you are now and become the next version 2.0 or 3.0 of yourself. And one, one thing I'll add in there is, um, you could volunteer to mentor, so it doesn't, you know, fit exactly, but it kind of can layer on top of your previous identity. So I volunteered here in Longmont to mentor like companies and entrepreneurs, like startups and stuff like that. So I spent a quarter on that, which, like I said, it sort of layers on top. So you can take advantage of the skills that you had before, maybe some of your network and help other people out in some capacity. So it could be, you know, younger people or just other professionals that are uh, junior or e even senior. I, I don't know, <laughs> but that could be helpful. Yeah. One other follow-up is I think finding community and projects now is kind of easier to do. We're more of a gig economy. Like when I got out of school 20 years ago, whatever, everyone just worked their full-time job and that was it. But now you could probably go to a coffee shop or a co-working space and connect with some pretty cool people. But how about yourselves? Have you thought about community or what you're going to do to give yourself identity or purpose post um, job? I think for me, uh, it's yes, but only in vague terms. And I think, uh, I feel like I just have to jump off the cliff and, and see how I land. Um, I, you know, a lot of advice that we've gotten from people is to start new hobbies before you, um, you know, leave or start creating community before you leave. So you have something that sort of moves with you. And I think those, that sounds, that sounds like really good advice and also advice that I can't, I don't feel like I can take because I think between, uh, working and, uh, you know, keeping just, you know, spending time with our friends and family, uh, and, uh, having some time to relax. Like there's not a lot of extra time to, 
you know, learn new skills that then I'm going to use uh, post-retirement or build new communities uh, beyond our, our existing friends and families. Um, so I just sort of feel like, <laughs> you know, we'll see what happens on the other side and have to trust that uh, we'll make new friends and find new community and um, maybe through some, you know, the things that keep us busy, like volunteering that we might do, uh, might provide some of that, um, or work that we might do. And we will spend time, more time, hopefully with our family, which is not located, neither of our family is located nearby. Um, so that will, those lead to some things, but it also seems like there'll be gaps in the day when most of our friends and peers are working or when we're traveling that will be cut off from a lot of the community that we have. Yeah. I guess what I would add to that is we have a constant stream of ideas of things that we could do. Uh, you know, we, we're in the, in the DC area, we're close to a lot of national parks. We're close to the Appalachian trail. There's groups and volunteer organizations for, everything, uh, everywhere. And so I think it'll be a matter of actually throwing our hat in the ring for those things and committing to something that we actually show up for. Yeah. It sounds like you're set up pretty well, but one other tool that I use is just going for long walks. We talked about this actually in our last interview and I read a Stanford study a long time ago, how uh, your brain does a lot of creative thinking when you just go for a walk, you're not looking at your phone, don't even listen to music, just walk around with a notepad maybe to record your ideas. I've come up with some of my my, my best ideas and it's all relative. They're probably not that great, but I, I get super creative when I do that. So I would encourage you to do that. And even with uh, with Mindy, the wife, uh, just go and start talking and we come up with all kinds of crazy shit. Mm-hmm. One uh, question to put you guys on the spot, any hobbies that each of you are going to get started with, or you've been thinking about it, but you didn't have time to do it. And I'll buy you a little time. I think I told you, Carl, I've been watching these uh, acoustic guitar making videos on YouTube. It's so satisfying to watch like someone build something on YouTube, especially if they can compress like months of work into like 15 minutes, (laughs) but it looks really fun. It's like a very specific kind of woodworking. And I'm like, um, should I get one of the kits? But I know it'll take a lot of hours and I don't have the skills, which you can learn along the way. But I'm like, ah, that would be great to get a kit and then spend like a couple months where basically most days I'm spending a couple hours on it. And then at the end, you have like a finished finished acoustic guitar. So any hobbies that are on the horizon that you've been putting off, you want to get started, maybe an instrument, language, whatever. I can go first. Uh, Something I'm excited about and that we intend to start as early as this month is uh, fishing. It's uh, when I was a kid uh, up through like middle school, I used to go fishing quite a bit and uh, then just stopped. Uh, Interests and hobbies changed, but we live fairly close to uh, the Potomac River and there's a lot of natural areas out here around us. And uh, I want to get back into fishing. And I feel like it could be something that's as easy as uh, enjoying solitude by the water and just seeing what I do or do not catch. Uh, Or it could be, I I, I get the sense that it could be endlessly full of new things to explore and new types of tackle and new types of fish to understand. So I feel like it could be um, as easy or as 
difficult as I want it to be. And from what I can tell from books and other things, some people make it very central to their identity. So yeah. um, <laughs> uh, we already do a lot of hiking and kayaking. So we, we're not you know, without hobbies. Uh, and we're looking forward to sort of building on that to maybe do uh, camping and things like that. And then, you know, fishing would work, would be a natural thing to build on top of those things. I think I've, uh, and maybe you too have uh, talked about wanting to learn an instrument. We both played when we were younger, but, but not for a very long time. Um, and it just never seems like we have the time and energy to do that now. Um, you know, we don't even have kids or anything, but still <laughs> the yeah. work and just, you know, keeping up social life and friends and a family and stuff. Um, so I, I hope uh, to do that, but you also sort of uh, touched upon or what I took from something you were saying was, you know, actually producing something physical. And that's something that's very attractive to me and very intriguing to me. And that's not what I do at work now. And so it is something I, I want to try. I'm sort of intimidated by, I don't have the skills to do any of these things. And so you have to learn the skills and you have to invest, you know, the time and money and getting the tools you need to do those things. And then like, hopefully you actually enjoy it. And, uh, you know, hopefully you are reasonably good at it and maybe you even earn some money at it, you know, if, if things go really well. So there's a little bit of anxiety about like, do you invest all that time and money about something that you don't really know that you'll enjoy? But I think that's just like, you have to do it. Like, that's the only way to, to find out uh, is to do that. But I've also thought that we're a little constrained living in, in DC in a condo. You know, it's a very comfortable amount of space for the, for the two of us and our dog. But there's not like, there's no garage. There's no workshop area that people that live in different situations um, have. So like the, I, I find it like really attractive and interesting to, to have some you know, craft that I'm pursuing that um, comes up with something practical, but I think there's some constraints here and there's a lot of advantages to living in the area, you know, for, for a same sex couple, it's a very uh, safe and welcoming place to live, which not every place is and not every place that would, you know, be easier to have a, a garage or a workshop and have that kind of space and that that's affordable and, and, um, plausible. So it's a trade-off for us that, you know, we'll get other advantages by living here. That might be one that we're constrained on uh, that I'm still working through how to think about. So Lewis, I wonder if you could do a, uh, well, I'll back up a second here, Todd, one of the people I mentioned earlier. Uh, we have a co-working space here in Longmont, which is just a bunch of machines and they'll teach you to, well, they've got all kinds of metal fabrication machines and like everything is in there. I've been to this place and it's only like 50 bucks a month. Uh, you might want to look for something like that if you haven't already. Yeah. Uh, what instruments do you guys play? Uh, when I was a kid through through high school, I played piano, cello, and trombone. And I played piano and saxophone. Okay. Wait, what so would you, yeah, what would I you guys pick up again? Guitar and keyboard are the ones that I'm interested in trying. Yeah. I'd, I'd like us to get a a keyboard and get back into piano. Um, and then we have a guitar that we've owned for years that just sits very nicely as a, as a, I guess a piece of art in our living room <laughs> yeah, that, that we keep talking about. It's fun. 
Yeah. All right. All right. So we've we've had a good part of this discussion talking about the the benefits of the freedom that comes with this new normal and the time and re- reclaiming your time and, and energy uh, to your own priorities. But what have you also found to be the most challenging aspect of all of this new time and flexibility to work with? Well, for me, and I've alluded to it a couple times is I still try to be a little too productive. So it's just instilled in us. And a lot of people that are aiming for early retirement, or at least have it on the horizon, we're pretty good workers. We like to be ambitious and do things. So it's been hard to like take the time off and really try to figure that piece of it out. So as I said, I've just been trying to be lazy, like literally just blank out days on the calendar where I'm like, all right, I'm not scheduling anything that day. And um, it's been good. It's been good overall, kind of awkward, but as time goes on, I feel much better. Yesterday was a good example. I think I sent a couple emails in the morning and then mostly sat around uh, most of the day and I had a beer or two at like two or three in the afternoon and just hung out with uh, Georgie. My wife's out of town. So it was literally a very, very low uh, productivity day. And it was great. I had an awesome time. (laughs) Yeah. And for me, it's just, and this is a very good problem to have. It's just saying no to things when after I stopped working, I said yes to everything and found myself busier than I ever was when I had a job. So that leads to a toxic lifestyle and not good. There's some, what's the Derek Sivers thing? Like it's either a hell yeah or it's a no. And I think that's very applicable. If you don't feel real strongly about the offer, your default should be to turn it down. And just a quick, quick note of self-awareness. So (laughs) are the, the most challenging thing for Carl and I, you had too much fun shit to do, right? You kept saying yes to all these great opportunities. And then I was like, I'm too productive. So we are are aware how dumb that sounds, but that's where we found ourselves, right? Anything to add that's accurate, right? Yeah. We sound like a couple of assholes right now, but I guess we know we under, we know that we're, yeah, we know you're assholes YouTube. You don't have to call us out. We already know. Leave comments on YouTube. Yeah. Those always, I was about to say, (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'm sleeping too much and getting too much rest that's another yep. thing just kidding all right is there anything that you think that might be challenging anything you guys are worried about knowing your personalities and stuff i think we've talked about a lot of the things that i think are going to be challenging and just mostly like the the psychological change um, and how not to get overcommitted and now not to get so unstructured that, you know, I go crazy. <laughs> Perfect. I think actually the, the other thing is we spend so much of our non-work time together because, you know, we like spending time with each other, uh, that I think it will be strange to either, like, figuring out how to still spend a lot of time together, but not overdo it potentially. And that might take some trial and error, which doesn't sound like much fun. (laughs) (laughs) If we decide we're spending too much fun together, that doesn't sound like a particularly great experience Um, uh, to like have an argument about it. But (laughs) um, 
that's one thing yeah. that we'll have to figure out because we'll just the default would be to just spend all our time together, uh, which sounds great in the short term, but maybe not in the medium to long term. Yeah, I actually added that question. We'll talk about that in a couple mm-hmm. of questions. But yeah, Lewis is going to be like, Clark, get the hell out of the house. I need some alone time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's next here? Uh, maybe sort of uh, related to uh, the past uh, discussion topic, but is there an aspect of early retirement that you in, you really enjoy, but really enjoyed, but you hadn't considered in advance? Yeah, you have so much energy in your life. So you two have pretty, I imagine, maybe stressful, rigorous jobs. I'm probably describing it poorly, but I'm sure your jobs take a lot out of you. And I noticed with my job, you'd get up, you'd go to work. And at the end of the day, you've given a lot to your job. So you don't feel like working out and it's hard to keep a proper diet because uh, screwed, I'm just going to have the Cheetos or whatever. But now you wake up and you don't have anything to do except answer to yourself. So the increased willpower, uh, you could do a, my workouts are better than ever. I never did more than one pull-up in my entire life. I did 10 after I retired. I can do the intermittent mm-hmm. fasting because I can push through. So the stress and the not having to put energy towards a job, you could funnel that energy into positive things in life. And oh, so valuable, so good. Yep, 100% agree with the will willpower. And then for me, a piece is like, the autonomy and just being able to do whatever at random times of the day, uh, really enjoy that. And more specifically, I like being outside a lot versus the basement down here. There's no, there's no windows on this side. So I, we have a lot of light, so it's bright, but it is great. I always feel better to go walk in the morning, a couple other walks in the afternoon and just being able to do that. I mean, I guess it wasn't too surprising, but I can do more and more of that. And generally it seems like the more walking outside, like there's no upper limit. Like I always feel better and I could always go on another walk. So kind of, kind of small, but I I enjoy it. Oh, it's so nice to take walks. That's one of my other favorite things that you might go out for 15 minutes and then two hours later, you're wandering around just looking at shit or, or talking to people and, I guess just taking life at a more leisurely pace. I'm thinking like earlier this week I was in Trader Joe's and I was just wandering around looking at all the shit they have there because we don't have a Trader Joe's near us. So when you go there, it's kind of, you got to make an effort. And I spent an hour in there. And the really weird thing was I'm an introvert. People scare the shit out of me. And I had like conversations with two people at Trader Joe's, like two strangers. This one lady was like, excuse me, can I ask you a question? I'm like, "Um, yeah, sure. She's like, I see you have... A chocolatey stout in these almond cookies is your plan to dip the cookies in the stout? I'm like, well, it wasn't until right now. Now it is. <laughs> now it is. And it's just fun like that. And I don't know why that happens. I guess you're just happier and more leisurely. I seem more yeah. approachable, I guess. Yeah. Where was this at? Where was Mindy? It sounds like you got a date out of, out of that. So how, what was this lady's name? I don't know what her name was. Yeah. The other one, she's like, I don't know if you're gluten-free or not, but I highly recommend these. I'm like, you know, I'm not, but what the hell? I'll give them a try. What what town were you in? It was in Boulder. Okay. So you were out like, uh, that's like a dating scene, right? It sounds like, I mean, you're, you're walking around Trader Joe's and all these ladies are coming up to you. I guess so. Things like that never happened. I, I don't know what was going on that day. Maybe it was a beautiful day. That was the thing. I had just gone for a hike. It was our first real nice day of the year. So I just hiked Sanitas and 
And uh, yeah, everyone's in a good mood. So I guess everyone was just happy. Maybe there was yeah. some. Don't sell yourself short, man. You're a good catch. <laughs> Mindy doesn't listen to these, so it's fine. We can say that stuff. <laughs> You're All making right. me think twice about the spending time apart thing. Like maybe. <laughs> Clark, you said you were going to be home three hours ago. Where are you? Yeah. And we, you know, find, find my phone or whatever. Find your friends. It's like, why are you still at Trader Joe's? Yeah. You've been there four times this week. <laughs> okay. Any follow-ups? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, just, I found it interesting, the willpower answer. That's something I hadn't really... I hadn't considered before. And I think if anything, I thought it would go the other way. So like your answer was both intuitive and counterintuitive at the same time that I, I often feel like maybe because I'm just so used to the structure that, you know, when I have to do things, that's when I'm most productive. And I like gather my energy up to go do it because I have to get it done. And then when I do have breaks, then my willpower sort of fades away because like, that's my break. Like I'm so used to using my willpower that way. So I think uh, I hadn't considered the fact that, you know, it'd sort of just be a very different mindset that you wouldn't have had to, to, you know, just like steal yourself and go in there and do all those things and use up your willpower. And so, um, so since you didn't have to do that, you, you have it for other things. Yeah. And maybe part of it is I had the willpower to plow through my job and now I'm just refocusing. Now I can take that same energy and apply it to me, which is even more powerful because I'm not helping whoever get rich or whatever. I'm doing something for myself and you feel even more energetic about it. All right. Next question. All right. Well, I guess as a segue from the dating scene at Trader Joe's, our next question is about social, your, our, your social relationships and your, your friendships. Um, now that you have the, the flexibility and the openness where you, you aren't at a standard Monday through Friday, you know, nine to five job, but suspect most of your friends and family are, um, we're curious what, what, to what extent do your social expectations change or what, how do you have to shift your expectations of how you spend time with others when you have just a completely different mindset of how you use your time? I'm going to say another pretty privileged asshole thing. And, and that is like, I don't really enjoy the weekends. Like I enjoy a Monday or Tuesday now, cause you got to go to Home Depot, and there's like a billion people there, and you kind of wait in line. Like, that's probably the worst part of my life, waiting in line in traffic. Again, send the hate mail to Doug. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and it, and it changes your social life too, because now I'm like, oh, I don't want to hike Mount Sanitas on a Saturday. You're not going to be able to park anywhere near it. There's going to be a billion people there. It's terrible. So you kind of change the way you do things. And a lot of that stuff moves to weekly activities. And this kind of speaks to what we talked about earlier and building your community. If you link up with other five people, you're going to be doing stuff on like Tuesday afternoon that no one else is doing. I, I just went out to San Diego to visit another five friend, uh, David Boyer, the phyology guy. And that's what we did. We're like hiking every day on like Tuesday and Wednesday. And I remember one time it was a great hike. We're right close to the border. You could see Mexico and like, there's no one else out there. We are the only ones. So that's yeah, awesome. might be a weak jerky answer, but what, what do you think, Doug? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, well, I agree. I love 
going to the grocery store like middle of the day or like late morning on weekdays. It's just quieter. There's not as many people, traffic's less and all that. And again, I sort of came into this a little bit different. So before I moved to Longmont, I was working remotely, number one, and then eventually I got laid off. So I had um, a lot of flexibility beforehand. Also, I ended up meeting a lot of people that had sort of non-traditional jobs also. So they were sort of freelancing or they had some, you know, different time constraints than a, a normal nine to five. So we were able to, to do a handful of things, um, you know, during the day or something like that. So it helped out. And I think one of the other things is like, you'll probably just have to deal with the constraints that other people have, but you're just way more flexible. So you're like, sure. Yeah. Like whatever works for y'all schedule. Like if you go on a trip with another couple or something like that, then you'll figure it out. And then the side mm -hmm. note, and I think this happens with, you know, my wife and I, we don't have kids either. So as our friends started having kids, like you just stop hanging out and like things naturally like work themselves out. There's no hard feelings, but they have other shit to do and we don't want to be around kids. So that's just the way, <laughs> that's the way things work out. So, so that may happen again, no, no hard feelings, but, um, you, you may find yourselves hanging out with other folks. Then when we moved here to Longmont, it took probably like six months before I joined the co-working space. And then like probably another six or nine months before I slowly uh, started making more friends. I, I don't have that many friends, I guess. I'm pretty content just doing my own thing. It's weird, I think. I mean, I like having friends, but and I'm I'm fine in a social situation, right? I seem normal. Yeah, you're super well adjusted. You you would have like 10x the Trader Joe's experience that I had. You probably be <laughs> you we got should, busy in the Trader Joe's bathroom. <laughs> we should do a vlog there. Just see what happens, especially <laughs> like you know we're. Um, we're doing the fitness challenge stuff. So we're, I mean, we're looking better and better every day, especially for the people listening on the podcast. You, you won't believe how strong we look right now. Guys, don't you think like we've. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah see, and not on YouTube. Don't worry about it, but the podcast listeners can go. So yeah, I lost my train of thought. Uh, Carl, reel, reel me back in. What are we talking about here? Uh, we were talking about relationships and you were saying how you're content by yourself. And you asked me, how you are as a person. Yeah, you're super good. Like we go to these conferences and I'm sitting there and Doug's like talking to 500 different people. So yeah, I would not have uh, thought that about you, Doug. So, so all, all that to say is your, your social circle may shift a little bit. And it, I mean, do you know anyone else uh, in your sort of circle of friends or community that are kind of on the same track? Anyone else that are interested in it or at least know what the hell you're doing? We don't, as far as we know, we don't have any of our friends who are on the same track. Uh, we've brought this up with two uh, two couples that we're very close to as friends, and they've been they've been very supportive and excited for us. Um, but to the discussion earlier today, they didn't um, they weren't all. At the same time that they were excited for us, they were not actively asking for advice on how they could do the same thing. Um, so I think that it'll, I guess, just be something we figure out um, as we go. 
One quick follow-up is one thing, um, most of my interactions during the day are with either senior citizens, like you go to the rec center where I go to work out and there's lots of seniors there playing pickleball. And I think I'm going to learn to play pickleball, actually. I've been meaning oh, yeah? to. Uh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, you end up, and they're very talkative, like seniors. I think some of them are kind of lonely, which makes me sad, but they always want to talk. Like, uh, And then young single mothers, like you go to park and it's ladies pushing around strollers. So those are the two random nice. interactions you have. But yeah, try to find a community. And what you said, Doug, I think applied to me too. A lot of our friends with jobs, we still see them, but it's probably much less. And yeah, no hard feelings. We've just kind of drifted away. We're still friends. It's just once or twice a year instead of once or twice a month. Mm -hmm. All right. And coming up next here, Carl has a, an addition. So Go ahead. Yeah. So I put this one in here and this is how do I maintain a healthy relationship with my partner in early retirement? And I asked my wife, Mindy, this, who, by the way, Doug was kidding back there. We have a very good relationship. I don't go to Trader Joe's to actively or passively pick up other partners. I mean, it's not why you go, but it's not, it's not a bad thing. So, just kidding. Just kidding. No, no one send emails to Mendy. No, no, you, you can't. I, I qualified it now, so it's okay. Hopefully, they don't like turn off the podcast after that and then send her the message right there. Like, your husband's picking up people at Trader Joe's. <laughs> any case, we were at the rec center yesterday. I was walking with her and I told her about this. I'm like, do you have any comments for this episode or any advice to give Lewis and Clark? And she had something that was pretty interesting. She she's on all she's the host of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, so she's interviewing people and she's on a couple of Facebook groups. And I think some of this might come from her personal experience too. So I'm going to qualify what she said with that. And that is a lot of wives get annoyed by fired husbands. And her quote was, "He's up in my shit all the time now." <laughs> Some people overreact because they feel they have to contribute, so they start doing stuff without the approval of their partner. So I'm like, like, what kind of stuff are they doing? And she's like, well, they'll they'll do stuff like rearrange the pots and pans or re redo the kitchen, and the wife doesn't want this, never asked for this. Yeah, and he might be around all the time, which causes problems. I'd, I know I've done some of this shit. Like I'll I'll do things in the kitchen that Mindy is not happy with. And uh, that's actually led to some tension. And I guess my advice for that would be just communicate with each other. And I think the thing with us too, I love Mindy, we're great, all that shit. But if I had to be around her 24-7, we would kill each other. That'd just be terrible. And we had a little bit of taste of that during COVID, right? You're around your partner all the time. I think most people, no matter how extroverted you are, need their alone time. Mm -hmm. And we kind of talked about that a little bit. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, Doug. Well, I, I want to talk about the phrasing here. So they start doing stuff without the approval of their partner. And what is the approval process in your household? Do you have to submit a form or is there some kind of thing you got to do? Yeah, there is a form. Sometimes it goes to an arbitration board if we can't agree on it. <laughs> uh, yeah. If I don't do it, there's punishment involved. You haven't seen the new stuff in our basement, but have you ever heard about the torture museum in Romania and the basement there? I haven't. Yeah, Google that. It's uh, okay. it's not pleasant in either okay. or some parts of my basement. <laughs> well, and on on our side, again, we worked. My wife and I worked remotely for several years, so we were kind of around each other all the time. But it, 
we struggled with it back then, especially, um, for example, I would work in the home office and then I would get up, get some water, grab a snack, and I would be actively thinking about whatever it is that I was working on before. And she wouldn't realize that I was like working because it looked like I was just getting water. So that was a little frustrating to just be around each other and then get interrupted, you know, in my head. I felt like I was getting interrupted, but that we, we slowly developed the skills to be around each other very often. However, we do have separate hobbies and my wife tries to do things to get out a little bit more. I lucked out like finding the Phi community here. So a lot of my friends are just, you know, uh, from the co-working space and people we know that are also retired, but my wife, she's been in a couple bowling leagues around here and she's in a, a curling league right now. So she's meeting like new people and like getting out and I could, you know, join with her for some of these things, but I think it's important for her to like do her own shit and meet her own friends, like unrelated to me and all that kind of stuff. So I try to, I try to be conscious of that because I think it's important. She also plays tennis and she's in a league. So she's doing all these other activities to meet other folks and, you know, just go to practice. I stand at the curling center on a weekend for a couple hours, stuff like that. So Doug, I do have one quick follow-up and I hope this doesn't derail the interview, but she's out of town right now. And we actually had a conversation. She was asking me what the Trader Joe's scene is like in New York City. <laughs> okay. Be strong, Thanks. Doug. Thanks for letting me know. Sure. It's uh, good information. <laughs> Clark, Lewis, Lewis and Clark. Yeah, I think it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out for us because I, as I said earlier, I think our our default is to basically spend all of our time when we're not working with each other, and it may be even as like a as a same sex couple, the the like sociology, the dynamic is different. That you know, I think straight friends often you know like the husbands will all go out, like the guys will all go out some nights, or the the ladies will all go out some nights. And uh, with a same-sex couple, you, there's not that natural like half of the half of the couple is going out. Clark is saying he wants to take up fishing. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. Like, <laughs> that would, <yeah. laughs> but uh, but maybe we need to create some space. Yeah, yeah, and I think too that when we reach the the other side of the like sabbatical feel of this and start getting back into uh, local volunteering or some kind of consulting side gig. I think that that's also where we'll see a bit of a divergence that, that if um, you know, if I want to go do something with a local nonprofit, that doesn't mean that uh, that Lewis is going to be, you know, sitting at my side as I'm meeting with them and doing that consulting work at the same time. And one one side note too is um, my wife and I have started taking more like solo trips to either visit family or other friends, which is good in some ways. Like it's a few more responsibilities, walking the dog and stuff like that. But it's good to just have like two or three days where it's like you only talk maybe once every day and a half or something like that. And I don't know, maybe it's like every six months or something, but we're trying to do a little bit more of that. Did, Carl, do you guys do that? 
Um, we do. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I just went out to San Diego to visit David. Uh, Mindy was talking about going to Ohio for reasons unknown. Are there Trader Joe's in Ohio? <laughs> There's a, there must be something like even Kroger's yeah. are going to be okay. The, the selection might not quite be as good, but I'm like, well, if you go there, do you mind? I'd like to go to San Diego again. I'll go see David. So yeah, I think that's, you don't have to be together with all the time. And if the other partner has a problem with that, there's probably issues with their relationship, I would say. But yeah. All right. Nice. We've done the math to know that we should be fine with our investments and with money. Uh, but we expect watching our savings and investments get spent down over time to be difficult to get used to while we're, you know, we're used to seeing it grow, not used to seeing it uh, go down. Uh, do you have any suggestions from your experience on going from an earner and investor mindset to being, you know, a spender? Yeah. And this is something we'll qualify this another asshole comment. Neither Doug or I have to deal with this because Doug makes money, his wife makes money, and my wife makes money. So I'm wife-fi or spouse-fi. So none of us have had to deal with that. So I, I asked Todd, who is doing this, and he said, living out of the 4% rule is scary as shit. You will need to be patient, but with time, that fear subsides. I, had, I looked at another. Have you ever heard of Michael Kitsis? He's a financial advisor with a blog. He goes into all kinds of numbers. He had a post about the, the 4% rule, and we'll link to this in the show notes. And I, I'd just like to read this. He says, the reality is that in the overwhelming majority of scenarios, returns are not so bad to necessitate a 4% initial withdrawal rate in the first place. In fact, by applying the 4% rule, over two-thirds of the time, the retiree finishes the 30 years with more than double their wealth at the beginning of retirement on top of a lifetime of spending. And that's a per the 4% rule. Half the time, wealth is nearly tripled by the end of retirement as retirees fail to spend their upside. So I think just knowing that when it comes time for Mitty and I to start spending it down gives me a lot of confidence. Mm -hmm. And yep, as Carl said, we haven't had to do that. I think it would be probably more scary for my wife as she's a little more conservative financially. But on a day-to-day -day level, I'm okay with spending. I, I mean, I was always a decent saver, but I also enjoy buying stuff. So you may have heard me mention in the last year, I've purchased like three guitars, like very nice guitars. And I didn't feel bad about it. It was fun researching it. I like playing the guitars. I'm taking guitar lessons. So like I'm getting something out of it, but I had no issue spending like what would be appalling for me in previous years to spend that amount on just like random guitars that I can't even play that well. Like if a real musician had it, they could like tour the world, right? Like it, these are good guitars, but I'm like, ah, it's fun to get them. So I, I don't know if that's helpful, but I'm okay with spending money and I know it's probably going to be okay. And I was just trying to, you know, treat myself a little bit. So yeah. Where do you guys think you land on this? Yeah. I, I think that, um, part of our financial planning preparation for this is saving up, I guess, what is essentially a, a two year emergency fund in a, any money market. So 
should the stock market crash on October 1st. Uh, we don't have to have any immediate panic. And then as we talked about earlier in this, if you know something goes dreadfully wrong and we can't get a job, we have increased our lines of credit to, to buy us some more time to try to solve that problem. Um, but I think that you know, sometimes we hear folks talking on financial independence podcasts and writing about how they actually spend a lot less than they planned. Um, and that, you know, when you're not commuting, when you're not buying work clothes, when you're not eating lunch out at the office every day, uh, that your costs just change. Um, so I think we're trying to get ourselves in a mental place where we can have an initial like three month kind of vacation and spend money, uh, do travel that we haven't done before. Uh, and then um, we expect to see our, our spending decrease. Um, and a lot of the hobbies that we have uh, just generally don't need to include, or aren't necessarily expensive. I mean, anything can be as expensive as you want it to be, um, but going hiking can also not be expensive at all. So um, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I'm having a few different reactions. Um, the quote you read, um, you know, reminds me of those Monte Carlo um, uh, simulations that we've done, you know, by ourselves and we've done with the downshift guys. And like, I see that, I see that the, the most often we may end up uh, when we pass away, like with significantly more money than we have when we stop working. Um, it also seems like that's just ridiculous. That's not true. Like, how could that possibly be true? That just doesn't seem right. Um, but I get it. Like, I get the math. Um, I just don't trust it. Uh, I, for some reason, trust the math that we're financially prepared to, like, do this. I just don't trust the math that, like, at the end, we will, like, have this absurd amount of money. Um, uh, and then I also don't trust the idea that our expenses will really go down when we leave uh, for work because we don't spend a lot of money on work clothes and we don't spend like mass, particularly now that you're working at home most of the time um, after, after uh, the pandemic started uh, you know, the lunches out and stuff, like it's not really that expensive and I feel like we'll travel and, and do stuff more. So that's, I'm always worried that we're underestimating how much we're going to spend or want to spend. I know, you know, we definitely can spend less and this emergency fund could get us through two years, but, you know, not with the travel that we've, we're hoping to do and not with, you know, spending a lot more money on crazy guitars that people can tour the world with, <laughs> um, you know, and so maybe not the standard of living we're expecting. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's interesting that to me to look at myself where I understand the math. I trust the math. I'm ready to, to jump off the cliff, but then there's parts of it that I just like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. That's not the way that's going to go. Yeah. I don't think it'll sink in until it actually happens, but a, a lot of the things I found, and we're a little bit restricted because we still have children, but if, if it's just you two and you want to travel to Brazil or w wherever you're going, you can go in the off season. And instead of going for a week on an Airbnb, you can find a great house to rent or maybe, ingratiate yourself with the FI community and there's always people looking to do house trades. So a lot of stuff does become cheaper. I'll often Doug lives a little bit over three miles from me and I'll often walk to his house and it's not even to save money. It's just for my own health, but 
-hmm. saves money and I wouldn't have had time to do that if I had a job. Do you own stock in Trader Joe's? <laughs> Is it a publicly held company? It seems like it's probably owned by I'm going to after this. No. <laughs> we gotta check this We're out. We're looking for sponsors. <laughs> All right. Well, before we finish off here, uh, we want to th thank you, Lewis and Clark, for sending in these questions. And I'm curious, and it's okay if you don't, but do you have any, you know, parting thoughts or anything after we've had this conversation, any kind of broad conclusions that either of you have come to? I think for me, kind of the broad conclusion is as with the rest of life, you can only be certain and certain with a tiny, tiny aspect of your world and the rest of it, you can plan as best you can and save as best you can and talk through the different scenarios. But unless you're actually willing to move forward with it, then it's all for, for, a, you know, a hypothetical brain game. So I think it's, it's helpful to have this discussion and, and be reminded of everyone's experiences a little different. And even when you think you have it all planned out, it's probably not going to turn out that way. And that's all right. I'd say I, I agree with all that. Uh, and it's um, been more helpful than I would have uh, anticipated to have this conversation with you uh, because we listen to podcasts and we read things. And so, you know, we get other input, but, but it is a lot of us talking to each other about it because it's, it's not people, Americans don't talk about money with friends and family very much. And particularly with this non-traditional route we're taking, it doesn't feel like we can talk to people about what we're worried about or what we're hoping for. So it's a lot of just like talking uh, to of us. So it's interesting to sort of expand it and get uh, different input, um, not just by reading a blog or something, but by, uh, by actually talking to people. Awesome. Yeah, I've got one more thought, and then I have some homework for you too. My thought is, after I left my job, I remember thinking like maybe three months out, I'm like, you know, I'd, I'd go back, but they'd have to give me a 50% increase. And then after six months, I'm like, I'd go back, but they'd have to like double my pay. And then like after a year, I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm going back. This is, <laughs> this is so good, and I'm so happy with with where I'm at. And I hope it works out the same for you. I think it'll actually be even better because I think you two are in a better place than I was even now, maybe. But my homework for you two is I'd appreciate it if you keep notes that I'm saying this because we'd love to have you on for a follow-up episode and maybe even too, if you're amenable to it. So mm -hmm. we'd love to hear how your thoughts evolve and maybe talk to you again, like when the in October and then maybe six months after that, and they can just be short format episodes. They don't have to be this, but it'd be great to hear, uh, turn these questions back on you, what turned out different and, and things like that. So yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks a lot guys. And, um, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Yeah. Thank All you. Right. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the mile high five podcast. And I'm Doug Cunnington the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five, and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person, so the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, 
your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.